since we're going to be reading the first passage from um, Exodus um, and just after they leave Egypt, and there's, well, it ends up being communion later, doesn't it? So, <laughs> I might as well yeah, pour myself a glass of fill my cup of blue red. Molo! Molo! So, it's, it's not very often church starts a red wine. <laughs> The Catholics usually end with it. <laughs> Doesn't normally start with it. Anyone else want to top up, knock yourselves out? Not literally, because that would hurt. Um, but wow, yeah. So today we are talking about the cloud. So Exodus thirteen and verse seventeen. When Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joshua with him for for Joseph, the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved um, and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that, and the sea. Um, you shall encamp facing it. For Pharaoh will, will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he's let them go after all these... Um, um, after a large sequence of events, um, a number of plagues, a number of things happen where God shows his power and um, he rejects it, rejects it, rejects it until the firstborn son of every family dies, um, which is just like what they did to the children of Israel. They killed all the young boys so that to try and stop Moses being born and to keep their numbers, well, to keep their numbers down, but it was at the time when Moses was being born. And so... There comes this point where God says, well, you need to get your hand off my son. If you don't let go of my firstborn son, I will take away every one of your firstborn sons. Um, and that was significant because that meant even the king. And the king was seen by the people as the embodiment of the god Ra. So him, his son dying, would, his firstborn son dying would be like the promise of the presence of their god living among them. That's what they believed. So when his son died, Ra got moved to. And so as far as the people were like, whoa, this God is legit. Like he just he just took our God out. He just he just he just duppied this God. So 
they kind of that's why they they're allowed to leave now when they leave they know that god is is god he is the lord but what god is saying to moses here is he's letting him in on something he's saying well we're going to do this because they need to really remember this because we need this not to be a repeat again we need this not to be a a time where they come back and try and slave and, and hold these people down and make them suffer the way they have. So he says, I'm going to have you guys camp here. We're not just going to cross over. We're going to wait because I know when he hears you're just lingering around the wilderness, he's going to come after you because he's, he's angry. He's really angry and he would be. And so this happens. Now, when I was looking at this passage today, I was quite interested because I saw an advert on TV the other day. I can't remember what I was watching. But this advert came on for Microsoft, the Microsoft Cloud. And it showed you all these different businesses using the cloud. And the reason why the cloud is so popular is because when you have large quantities of data, it's very difficult to break down that data, analyze it, and get the information that you need. The beauty behind the cloud is all the information can be um, filtered through so many other computers all around the world all accessing that data and it's just a much easier more powerful way to access filter through data and to find out the information you need so lots of organizations are using it and it was showing you all these different businesses and then at the end of the advert it showed real madrid real madrid football club are using it um, they say we do our, all our business using the cloud and i was thinking wow real madrid are even using it that's crazy like they're like close to they've got to be one of the football, richest football clubs in the world, I think second at the moment or, yeah. or, or first. Um, so they've got to be close to like a billion, over a billion I reckon, in, in, in worth. And they're using the cloud. And why are they using the cloud? Well, a lot of businesses, what they, how things used to be run was you had a board or you had a CEO or you had um, different senior figures like managing directors. And what would happen is they'd feel a gut feeling. And they'd feel, I think this would be a really good direction for the company to go in. They'd have some data available, but there were huge risks with large amounts of money where you make an investment and you would go somewhere and either you would reap huge rewards or you would fail epically and your company would suffer. Nowadays, companies don't take any risks with any of the moves they make. They minimize it by seeing and shifting through all the data that comes their way and then working out which is the safest one to bet on and then they move towards it based upon the big data they get through the cloud. So for example, Amazon we'll use this. You will load an Amazon website, I will load the Amazon website, but it doesn't mean we see the same website. We may see the same items in the shop, but when it comes to the checkout, they do this thing called A-B testing. Sometimes much more than this, but this is a simple way to look at it, where I will get, um, thank you for shopping with us um, today. I hope you enjoyed your experience or something like that. And I'll be like, oh great, yeah, I did enjoy it, thanks. And I'll carry on. <laughs> you may receive, thank you for shopping with us today, did you find all that you were looking for? And three suggestions of something else you searched on the bottom. And oh, I didn't get that. And then they look at the data and they see, well, out of the two people groups, 50%, so a million went to that one, a million went to that one. 70% were more likely when they said, did you find all you were looking for? And the suggestions, 70% of them went back and bought something extra. Well, we ditched the first one, we don't use that anymore. We shifted this model. So they no longer sit in a meeting and go, what do you think would be better on the end of the uh, purchasing thing? I think it'd be nice if it said high five. They don't have that anymore. It's all based on data. It's all based on real information. And the example I've used is a ridiculous one and a silly one. But when we look at it, I think it's just great that it's called the cloud. Because in this instance of this passage we're reading, 
it's like they're following the cloud, they're following God, God is leading his people, and God is imparting to Moses this great insight that Moses could never have known. He could never have known what Pharaoh was thinking. He could never have known that this would have been important for the future safety of their nation, that they would be secure, that it would protect them in, in, in the times that are ahead. They could never have guaranteed or known these things if God hadn't spoken to them. And so then in Numbers 9, verse 15, it carries on and it says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, and it was the evening over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of the fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, the people of Israel camped. And at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel camped. And so it carries on talking about that um, further on in that passage. And so they lived literally following the cloud, following the cloud, following the cloud. Now, why, why, is, why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, it matters on two levels. It matters for us as a collective, as a church, and as an identity as City Hill, that together, as an entity, we constantly follow the cloud. That we're constantly listening to what God wants us to do, where he wants us to go, how he wants us to, to, to grow and to change and to shift and to do these things. But it's also, not just as a collective level, but as an individual level, that we individually are asking God, where are you going? Where are you moving? What is it you're doing right here, right now? And the reason for that is this. When we looked at the last passage, it said that God led them the particular direction they went because he knew that when they saw fighting with the Philistines, they'd turn back and go to Egypt. He knew that they'd see a problem and go, I don't want this. I'll go back to my slavery, thank you very much. Because what happens is we always choose what we're familiar with. We always choose what we're comfortable with. We always choose what is safe for us and we feel secure in just because we know it. Even though what God has for them is going to be so much better, they're going to get to an obstacle and they're going to say, no, thank you very much. I'm going back. I know what this was like. I know what I was getting and I know what I'm going to get. And so I want that instead of pursuing that which is better because you've got to step out of your comfort zone, step into ground and into areas you've never known before. My, my best mate, Zach, over in... Um, San Antonio, we have conversations like every day. Today we've been chatting and stuff. And a while back he was telling me, you know what, we've hit capacity, we're gonna hit capacity, we're gonna hit capacity. Like we've got to a point where, he goes, I'm doing so many services, they were doing four at the time I think, Saturday night, three on a Sunday, and he goes, we can't do this because what's gonna happen is, we're gonna hit a point where I can't come any extra services without dying, and I can't get any more people in, but I can't get to the point where we're full and we're turning people away because we want to see people's lives changed, so I've got, to, I've got to do something about this. And then he said to me, I need to raise in two years, $2 million. I need to raise $2 million so we can get out where we're renting, buy ourselves a building, get it turned around, get it all updated, how we want it to be, I need $2 million. And I remember listening, I was like, wow, this is amazing, this is crazy, like, that is insane. Like. And then he said to me, so he goes, we're doing a month of um, fundraising, da, da, da. we're gonna be talking about this, we're gonna talk about that. And I remember listening to him and I was like, wow, okay, fundraising, cool, cool, cool. And then one day we were chatting and he just dropped this bomb on me. He goes, Andy, he says, 
I'm not fundraising, because I've talked to him about the fundraising campaign. I kept saying fundraising, fundraising, something like that. He goes, Andy, I'm not fundraising. He goes, I'm faith raising. And I was listening to him, and I was like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm British, you're American. <laughs> I, I, know this, I know this American Christianity. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Faith raising, that's a good spin, man. I wish I could come up with spins like that. You know, like, like, woo! <laughs> How do you increase your offering? We're not fundraising, we're pay for it. I was like, Ooh. I was like, you on fire, Zach, you on fire. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking inside, but I'm just listening to him. But you know what, a couple of weeks went by and I couldn't shift this out of my head. I'm not fundraising, I'm faith raising. And then I realized this guy's onto something. He's raising $2 million for a building he doesn't know where it is, what it is, what it's going to be like, all he knows is that they've hit capacity and he knows on estimate, looking around the area, all the estimates and all the calculations, that's how much they're going to need to do this. So then he starts getting pledges over a two year period and I think, they, they, I think they've hit, I think they've passed a million um, so oh. far. And as a church, we even gave a small amount to it, although it, I can guarantee you it didn't push close. Because <laughs> um, like, we were actually the first people, as a church, we were the first ones to give anything to the campaign because they're the faith raising. <laughs> so he did this thing and I was listening to him. And just this week, we moved into our home. And I can honestly tell you, if Zach hadn't had that conversation with me where he said, I'm not fundraising, I'm faith raising, we wouldn't have moved into our home. We wouldn't have bought this property. It wouldn't have happened. Because I had in my mind already this mentality of the obstacle. I knew what my credit rating was. I knew what my credit card was. I knew what my income was. And I knew what buying would be. And I knew it wasn't possible. It just wasn't possible. But Jody keeps going, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And then he's keeping on going to me, man, I keep telling you, when I'm fundraising, <laughs> faith raising. And, and the two of them, without knowing, are just on at this all the time. And so I'm like, you know what, okay, well, apply for the mortgage, you apply for the mortgage. And I'm waiting for them at the end of it in principle to go, yeah, I'm sorry, mate, no. And then he goes, yeah, okay. And I'm like, so, sorry, say that, say that again? <laughs> say that again? And do you know what happened? My faith started to raise. I started to step forward. And then you know what happened when they started screwing things up? Instead of me going like, oh yeah, well, you're right, we shouldn't do this. Let's pack it in. Instead, I'm arguing. I'm having a go at them about their inadequacy. And then they're giving me money because of the inadequacies they've made, which wow. help pay for it. Wow. But it doesn't happen when you get settled with what you've always known. What I've always known is, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to be able to achieve this. This isn't possible. It's not going to happen for me. This happens for someone else. It's just not going to happen. But then as I stepped out in faith, it started to grow and bit by bit by bit it happened. And over the last year um, and a bit, while Zach's been talking to me about this, my wife's been banging on at me, I've just seen <laughs> God just raising my faith step by step by step. I wrote a book, Karmashima Drama. I thought this is ridiculous. Who's going to want to read this? This is a stupid idea. And then I ended up doing the tour in Texas, sold everything I took there, it was gone. The ones I've done in the UK, it's, it's flooded out. People have been coming back to me with different feedback, how it's changed their lives. Governor B wrote in Christianity Magazine saying the book that changed my life. I didn't even know who wrote that. And then I just keep meeting people here, there and everywhere. But you know what it is? At the beginning, I'm like, I shouldn't write this because who am I? For a start, I'm dyslexic. For a second, if I do write something, who would want to read it? And it won't mean anything to anyone. And who am I to do anything? 
But then you realise God is moving and the cloud is moving. And I'm still waiting here, unsatisfied with my life, upset about a thing about myself, feeling incomplete, not fulfilling my potential. And I'm going, God, when are things going to change? And he's like, well, I'm over here for a start. If you'd like to start writing that thing that I've told you to write. And then you write it. And then you're like, well, God, I haven't got any money. And then I'm like, oh, should I do a Kickstarter campaign? Oh, no, it's never going to work. I'm never going to hit the target. Then you do the Kickstarter campaign. Then it hits the target. And you're like... Oh, crumbs. I've actually, I've actually got to produce a book now. <laughs> and then you produce the book. And then you get it and you're like, okay, this is pretty cool, but like, like who's going who's gonna to care? And then you start meeting people who have read it and whose lives have changed. And who start saying to you, oh, I read this bit and this, this meant something to me. And then all of a sudden you realise there's a reason that God moves and he calls us forward. God hasn't called you to follow him and just stay stagnant. He wants us to stretch us. When Jesus called Peter, Peter said, I'm a sinful man, leave me. Peter was afraid and wanted to stay in, 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 in his limitations because he knew them. Jesus said, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll make you something else. Peter followed him. And then when the storm hits the boat, only one out of 12, one in 12 gets out of the boat and walks on water. Only one in 12 and it's Peter. And do you know why? Jesus calls him to walk on the water. And the reason Peter says to him, Jesus, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus just says, come. The reason he gets out of the boat isn't because he's a maniac. It's because if you follow a rabbi and they've allowed you to follow them, they believe you can be like them. And Peter sees his rabbi walking on water. And so when his rabbi calls him, he's like, I will be like you. And he steps out of the boat. And now there's only one out of the 12 apostles who can say, yeah, I walked on water once. I know that's like, it's pretty cool. How about you guys try? Oh, yeah, 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 I forgot. You, you clang to the boat, screaming for your dear life. That's what happens when you don't follow the cloud. We don't see where God is, what he's doing, and how he wants us to be like him. In Numbers 14, I'm not going to read it because I want to kind of keep it short tonight. What happens is there's this moment where they get to the promised land, they've sent spies, they've checked it all out, and they've heard the report that the guys in the land God has promised them are dench, and that they roll deep, and they're huge. And they're like, you know what, these guys roll deep. I don't really fancy our chances, man. We're going to get moved to. Uh, it'd be better we go back to Egypt, because what's going to happen is they're going to pull out their, their yaks. They're going to they're take our women, they're going to take our children, and we're going to be left with nothing, and we're all going to get killed. And they said, we want to go back because of that. Because just like he said, he said they would. He said they would do that. And that's why they avoid coming around um, the other way in the first passage. Because he's like, they'll see a fight and they'll want to go back home. <laughs> now they're actually there to take the land. And they're going exactly like he said they would. Typecasted or what? They're like, yeah, no, they're going to put out swords. I don't really fancy this. Let's go back. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not backing it, Lord. I'm not backing it. I am not backing it. And they want to... They want, to, they want to walk away from the promises that God has for them. And in the end, it takes Joshua and Caleb, uh, and Caleb, an 86-year-old man, at the bottom of a mountain going, God promised me this mountainside. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. He sees where the cloud's going. He sees where God's going. The great thing about the cloud and the great thing about God and his leading, leading us in our lives is we see the limitations. I see that I'm dyslexic. I know I'm dyslexic. I've been bullied for being dyslexic. I've had my teachers cussed me in front of my whole class. I've had my teacher put all my spelling mistakes on the board and made the whole class learn it. Five years I was bullied for that one. He thought it was funny. 
And um, five years I was bullied for that, and I lost all self-belief. I remember doing a, a, a speech in, um, for our match report, and I bottled it, gave it to my friend. That turned out terrible. Had a teacher stand over me and say, you're a disgrace, you should never do public speaking ever again. I've preached on three different continents in seven, eight different countries now. Multiple different churches, sometimes to over a thousand people. And um, it turns out, I'm not that bad at it. <laughs> but when you stay with what you know, and you don't step out, you stagnate you die inside. Without vision, we perish. And that's exactly what they were ready to do. As a church, as a collective, we're not going to be that. We know what God's calling us to do. Right now, the small step and the small movement of the cloud is Sunday nights to create room for those that um, wouldn't come to church and especially wouldn't get up in the morning for it. Um, We also are moving in a direction as individuals. And so today what I want to do is I want to pray for us because I really believe that over the coming weeks, over the coming days, God is going to speak to us as individuals and um, he's going to say, I'm moving here, you know, and you need to follow me, you need to step out in faith. You can't stay where you are. You can't stay doing what you're doing. You're stagnating and I've got so much more for you. And I believe that of every single person here today. So I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to wrap up. Father, I thank you that um, businesses all around the world are using the cloud for data to make wise decisions. They have the limitation of information based on what's happened in the past. But when we look to you as the cloud, we come to one who stands outside of time and space. And we can trust you because you knew even the things that Pharaoh thought in his heart before he even thought them. You knew exactly how everything would pan out, that you would deliver your people, that you would lead them into a place flowing with milk and honey. Father, each one of us, I believe today, you are calling us out from where we are. You are calling us to follow you. And it's good that we analyze the data in front of us. But if we analyze the data too much, we're going to end up like they did in Numbers 14, where we're going to be like, man, these guys are dench. They got yaks, and I'm not backing it. And we move away from the promises God has for us. But when we follow God, when we follow the cloud, when we walk with you step by step, trusting you and knowing you, then we will see that you are the Lord, that you are true and you are faithful. Father, I'm living proof today with all that you've done in my life in this last year. I cannot believe it. It it blows my mind what you've done in just the space of a year, Lord. Um, I thank you so much that we finally got a home for Eden. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I am so personally grateful for what you have done for me and my wife. But Father God, all of us are in different places. All of us are looking to you and we're asking you to guide us to be with us to move ahead of us lord in jesus mighty name amen, amen. okay